and Community Church. Your face, oh God of Jacob. 
Lord, I just pray that um, as we're here today and we're um, celebrating you and who you are to us, as we're in the midst of the series um, where we're talking about finding peace of mind, God, we pray that um, we know that we find that by running to you and, and seeking you. So, Lord, we just pray that whatever we're dealing with right now, um, besides sore backs from shoveling, that, God, we will just run to you and just um, you'll, you'll give us the answers and you'll make us complete. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This time our kids can head to our Haven Kids and everybody else say, hey, were you the one praying for snow? That's what Frosty said this week. Oh, you guys are really weak. <laughs> Good morning. I thought that was cute. God told me to say that. He told me twice, not once, twice. And I said, I'm not going to do that, but I did it. Okay, and uh, I will sign autographs after uh, the service. I didn't know my picture was up there. I'm like, woohoo. But anyway, it's all good. Um, we have got lots of prayers today, so I want to get them rolling. Um, Jess Bursher, the Shuey family, I really hope I said that right, um, and all who love Nick, who passed away last Friday in an automobile accident. So we want to lift that family in prayer. Lisa Bailey for healing and positive vibes. Jen Wilcox, Jen's father is in the hospital with heart and lung problems. We want to continue to lift him in our prayers. Robin Hildebrand, her sister Jean, went to the hospital last night. So we definitely want to keep her in our prayers. Um, Melinda, I apologize for last week. I missed her card. Her son had surgery Tuesday in the snowstorm, and he's doing well. So we want to continue to pray for his healing. Jen and Jennifer 
Uh, Benjamin, we're praying for you, has an interview for another position at Gore. Prayers for a successful interview. Just be yourself. It's all good. Um, and prayers for um, Skylar Jones Miller and her brother Gage. Uh, that was an eighth grader and a 10-year-old brother were found um, deceased in their home. Um, and I'm not sure if it's been determined yet. So that's really sad. Um, Dale Ross, back surgery coming up Wednesday. Put him on your calendar. We're going to pray for that back to be better. Um, Karen Verity um, had given me a shout out. Her husband, Mike, was just diagnosed with congestive heart failure. So we want to continue to have prayers for her and for her, for her husband. Donna Wiggum, her friend Rob, is having, he's getting scheduled for bypass surgery. We want to keep him and lift him in prayers. Um, Liz for healing, she's a dear friend of ours who is online out there. Hello, Liz. Um, for healing, she's really been having some trouble lately, so we want to lift her up. Brittany Curlett, don't know if I saw you come in today, but you were going to have um, some surgery. Willard, his cousin Dana Kronowski, um, is having brain surgery on Tuesday. That's his mom's sister, so we definitely want to keep her in prayer. She lives in Maine. So let's just send all those vibes up to Maine and, and let her heal. Um, Pat Dordan family, I'm not sure if any of you know him, but his brother Joe passed away suddenly last Sunday, and they're having his services today. Allison Aubrey, she lost her grandmother this week. So we've had a lot of loss. So you make sure you reach out to those beside you and hug them, because it's really hard during this season when it's snowy and it's kind of the downtime. It's real hard to lose someone. So make sure that you uh, lift these folks in prayer and keep them, keep them in your hearts. Also, um, Bunko, Thursday night, and that all depends on if I put my Christmas decorations away and bring back the tables. You're supposed to laugh at that because I haven't put my Christmas decorations away yet. What's wrong with that? I can't get to my shed. It's snowed in. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, we're going to go to God in prayer. Hands on your knees, hands on your heart, wherever you need them. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for everyone here today that made the trip out in the snow. Whatever they had to do to get here, to come worship, and, and to be in this family with one another, I see a lot of returning faces, and that makes me very happy. I see a lot of new faces, Jesus, and we welcome each and every one of you. And if you haven't had a chance, see me after church for a little red bag, because we want to welcome you the right way, the haven way. But I want you to put your healing hands on everyone that we've lifted that are going to be in for surgery folks that are suffering from illnesses, those that are in recovery and fighting it hard during this season. Be with those who are struggling with their finances, with their relationships. Jesus, you know our needs, and we just need to give it to you. It's let it go and give it to God, and he will take it. Pray for Pastor Jack, as he has an amazing series coming up that really will touch the heart of a lot of us. So lift him and his message. And each one of us, Jesus, watch over us and give us our daily bread and let us pay it forward to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Bipolar disorder, depression, 
anxiety, ADD or ADHD. We cannot avoid the topic of mental illness. What does this mean for those of us who are born again, blood-washed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and yet live in this real world where people have real problems and real difficulties? You have to face it somewhere. So even if you want to avoid the subject here, you have to ask the question, what are we as Christians supposed to do? Let there be light. All right, everybody, how you doing? So uh, I guess we don't have to be, who was the one this year that said, oh, this year we're really going to get snow? Who was that person? You also said it the last four years too, and you just don't keep track, but um, anybody probably, probably had enough now? Anybody good? No, some people want more, all right? If I was by a ski lodge, I'd be, I'd be good, but um, anyway, we got it, though. We did. We did. Um, you know, it's interesting. We had a lot of discussion with people that um, because it's been such a gap, there's a lot of people that have no clue how to drive in this stuff, you know? Um, and, well, there's a lot of people that don't know how to drive anyway, but um, that's a whole other, other story. But anyway, um, I, there's, um, we just want to pray for people because I know there were a lot of accidents and a lot of other things, so... Um, Pray that people learn how to drive. Um, but that's another thing. A um, couple other things. One of the things I do want you to um, pay attention to is also Grief Share will be coming up um, soon. Is that the 26th? 29th. 29th. So you want to put that down. And you saw all the other announcements. But everything's good. So welcome. You guys are not the frozen chosen, right? Because you're, you're maybe the thawed out chosen. I don't know. But um, you're here and we're in our week, our second week of our series, Finding Peace of Mind. And... Um, and you know, I was thinking about a couple times in my life. I remember one time um, I was asked to, to speak somewhere, and it, it was early on um, as a pastor. And the person that asked me to speak, um, I respected pretty well. And I was kind of nervous about it, um, just, you know, whether I was going to have everything down or not. And I remember that somebody uh, that I also respected said, um, well, you know, Christians really shouldn't have anxiety, especially people who are going to be pastors. And I thought that was awful because then it made me feel um, even worse. They kept saying, just give it to God. And I'm like, I'm trying, but he still makes me go up there. Um, but, um, you know, and then the per same person quoted an amazing verse, a verse that I really like that was in your bulletin. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then they looked at me and said, don't be anxious about anything. And when they said that, I was like, really? You know, I mean, and sometimes I think that don't be anxious when, because a lot of times when you say that, um, you may feel deflated because is anybody anxious about anything? Um, and what about, you may be hurt. I, I was a little bit angry, um, a little bit frustrated. You may be insecure. You may feel hypocritical at that point. And, um, and then you start to say, well, God, is that absolutely po any, any way possible to actually be not anxious about anything. I mean, I'm, I'm a Philadelphia sports fan. Of course, I got to be anxious about lots of things. I'm used to being let down. But and seriously, God, look around the world. Um, how many of you ever felt that way that, you know, 
that when you, if you looked at that verse and somebody said, hey, don't be anxious about anything, then you may feel those ways. You may feel a little bit mixed up there. I, you know, I don't know about you, but when you look around the world, I can only imagine the financial pressure of the world today with bills to pay and kids to raise. Um, uh, you know, like maybe some of you are going back to school or relational issues or health challenges or job stress. Nobody has job stress, correct? No one? All right. Um, or inflation, things like that. Has anybody ever, uh, you know, it was going down a little bit, but anybody ever tried to buy eggs lately? I don't know what they're doing. I'm waiting for the golden egg to come out when you buy them because they're so expensive anymore. But um, is it really possible to not be anxious in the world that we live in? You open up a, a news app if you're really a glutton for punishment, and the whole world is falling apart. Nobody likes each other. Uh, and it, it, this year, as we said, we're we're going to get ready to draw very clear lines of red and blue, right? Because we're having an election that's coming up. It should be really fun about August and September, right? We, you can't wait to see all the political ads. Anybody with me there? You're like, oh, you're going to find out this person hates children or, you know, this person beats up puppies. And you're like, wow. You know, I mean, it's, it's rather interesting. But, um, it, well, here's the thing, though. If you ever feel like you're battling with anxiety and you, and you feel like there's plenty of things to be anxious about, well, you're not alone. You're not alone at all. Um, there's a lot of anxiety that's there. There's, uh, I heard a, a story of a tree. A tree had been filled with anxiety and decided to go see a psychologist. The tree said, I don't know what to do. Every year I feel really anxious in fall and winter. Hmm, very interesting, the psychologist said. And he said, how do you feel when spring comes around? He says, relieved. I thought it was funny, but anyway. All right. <laughs> You're going to tell that to somebody today. You, you groan at them, but then you tell them. I know it. Um, so, but seriously, there's a lot of things about anxiety that are out there. A lot of us deal with that. According to a study done in 2019, two out of every three Americans said they were anxious or extremely anxious. That's two out of three. And that was in what year? 2019. That was before the world totally went crazy with a pandemic. Right? And the numbers skyrocketed. It was probably three out of three um, that you find that. But the frequency and intensity of people with anxiety just exploded all over the place. In fact, one study showed that 91% of those of you who have high school or college age students or, um, or children, um, that 91% of this group reported consistent or significant levels of anxiety associated with stress. Um, I heard somebody else once say that, um, that hum the human body is 80% water. So basically we are cucumbers with anxiety. Um, so, um, <laughs> so we can take it that way. But it's perhaps one of the most common and abundant mental health issues that we face today. And so we're going to talk about it today. And I want to acknowledge it that this is a very complex subject. Again, like I said, I am not the biggest expert on this. I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing. Um, but I want to talk from a spiritual aspect. And this is very complex. And many of us have different levels of anxiety. And there are different points on this anxiety spectrum. For instance, some of us, it could be occasional. There could be some minor sense of uneasiness or discomfort or stress. Um, it may be that we're in school and there's a test or we're, we, you know, remember when you went to took your driving test? Anybody remember that? That sense of anxiety. Or maybe it's some kind of presentation at work or at school you have to make. Or maybe you're in some social situation where you come in and you just feel like you don't fit in. Um, and you just kind of feel awkward. Or um, there's that kind of person that we have in our life that when 
on the phone, you see texting, and it, their name comes up, and you go, uh-oh, what are they going to say? And then you finally get the courage to text them back to what they said, and then you see the bubbles moving, and then nothing. And then it goes up a little bit more, and nothing. And then you sit there for a day, and nothing, and you still see some bubbles, and you're like, huh. And you start to maybe feel some of that anxiety. Um, we all tend to have some of those people. I have about 20 billion of them. But um, so we, so we like, what are, what's going to happen there? For others, anxiety is significant. It can be crushing. It can be uh, debilitating. There can be a consistent sense of dread and a shortness of breath. You can have panic attacks. You can um, feel your heart racing. You can feel like walls are closing in. Um, you can't control just normal capacity. And wherever you are on the spectrum, I want you to know something. I want you to know that God cares about you. He cares about you immensely. And that's why today's title is called High Anxiety. So let's go ahead and pray, if you will, with me. God, our Father, we just ask that in your presence that you would do a healing work, that you would renew our minds and teach us how to renew our minds by your word. Teach us your word with your Holy Spirit and by your power. We ask for healing. We ask for your goodness. We ask for peace of mind as we search for it in you. We pray that believing that you hear our prayers and that you can help renew our minds through your word and our hearts with your comfort and your presence and your peace. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ's name. And everybody says, amen. amen. All right. So we're going to look at a very powerful section of scripture on a very powerful leader in the Old Testament who was a king. Now, Israel and Judah, there was Israel, and then it broke off into Israel and Judah, and they had good kings and they had bad kings. They had more bad kings than they had good kings. And so we're going to talk about a good one, and we're going to go in um, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you want to go there, open up an app or whatever else, you can be there. And he's one of the best kings. And... um, and he was the fourth king and in the southern kingdom of Judah, and his name was Jehoshaphat. Everybody say with me, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. There you go. You know somebody's name now. All right. So um, Judah had several enemies, and they were about ready to attack. And all of a sudden, um, Jehoshaphat is leading. He was a man after God. He sought God. And as he was doing so, all of a sudden, the Moabites start to attack. Well, that's bad enough. But at the same time, the Ammonites begin to attack. And then, in addition, the Mennonites start to attack. So he's being attacked by three different groups who hate them on all different sides, all at one time. And King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, but Jehoshaphat is leading them, and he's, he's concerned. He's very concerned. And so I think this illustrates a great reason how many of us deal with anxiety. For instance, um, many of us, we can handle one situation attacking or one situation happening. But, we, we, you know, we might be able to handle one difficult boss. But when you have several difficult bosses or several difficult people in your life or you have a difficult boss and your car breaks down and on top of that you have a financial crash and, and stress and then you, um, you have a stressful relationship and you started a diet on the same day that people, it was National Donut Day at work. And so you're, you have all this stress in your life at once and you don't know what to do. And the younger generation, as I mentioned, um, statistics say that this is the most anxious generation that's ever lived. Um, they were the most educated that we've ever seen in, in the world, and yet they have one of the things that causes stress is they feel like they have the, the least clear path on where to go with their future. 
and so it creates a lot of stress. They, so we have a lot of people who are overeducated, underemployed, and feel like they're falling behind. And the inflation and other things that got them behind, and they say, I can't afford to buy a house with these things, so they postpone that. And then they feel like, I, I can't get married because i I, I got to wait for that. And they keep postponing, and they feel like they're, they're falling behind and falling behind, which is increasing stress. And meanwhile, they're staying at home with their parents, which is increasing a lot more stress, correct? And, and, but th- that's, that's a serious thing that we say, that this generation is so, is so anxious. And even our young children are overwhelmed with anxiety. Um, and then there, and then the same thing, there's all this anxiety and all this stuff to be anxious about. And then you've got a well-meaning Christian that comes up and says, you shouldn't feel anxious. Once you've given your life to Jesus, you should just be skipping through the daisies and singing and, and yelling. And you do not be anxious about anything. And you want to punch him in the face, right? Um, so, so you feel like, but more importantly, you feel like I must be doing something wrong then. What's wrong with me? Um, that I have this anxiety and I'm struggling with these things and we don't know how to handle it. And that's what I want to show you today. First thing I want to tell you is, and hear me, if you don't hear anything else, anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. Look at somebody next to you and say, anxiety is not a sin. Okay. If you don't believe me, look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right? Jesus was sinless, correct? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was going to give his life on the cross, he's there. And we learn that he is in agony. And he says, God, is there another way? Is there another way? He knew what suffering on a cross was going to bring. He knew the pain. He knew everything that was going on, coming, coming on. If you were going to suffer on a cross, how many of you would have some anxiety? Would anybody be a little bit concerned about what you were about ready to go through? Jesus understood that. He had seen it. He understood it. And he went to his father and said, Father, if you can, take this cup. Take this, take this from me if there's another way. And he said, he cried, it says he cried out. He was in agony. And we talked last week also about how he, had, he sweat droplets of blood called hemodidrosis because you're in, what they say is it's a medical condition. You're in such agony that you're sweating that the blood vessels break in your forehead. Jesus was dealing with a situation of agony and anxiety. So guess what? It's not a sin. You know why? Because Jesus isn't, isn't uh, a sinner. Jesus didn't sin. So, but he ultimately came to the end and said, not my will, but your will be done. Anxiety is not a sin. It's actually a signal. It's a signal. For instance, how many of you have cars like me that you're driving down the road and a little light comes on? It's a little engine light. Anybody ever have one of those? And what do you do when that light comes on? You get anxiety, right? Because <laughs> you're like, oh, this is going to cost so much. But what else do you do? I can't hear a word you're saying. What? Some pull over, some keep going, all right? Some have one of those little ODP scanners you plop in, you go pull up your phone or whatever, and you say, okay, this is what's going on. I have no clue what that is. I'll Google it. Um, uh, but you, you, you're, what, is the, what is the signal for? What does it do? It's a warning, right? That light is a check engine. What does it want you to do? Check your engine. It means don't just ignore it and keep driving, okay? Um, But many of us do that with anxiety. Anxiety is a check engine light. It's something that tells us, hey, something's not running right. So you you might need to check and find out what's going on underneath the hood of our lives. And so so that's one of the things that we do. In the same way, when we're battling with anxiety or we're dealing with it, it isn't a sin. It's a signal alerting us to three things, and that's what I'm going to share with you today. So what is anxiety? Anxiety from a spiritual perspective is a signal alerting you to, number one, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. 
Um, meaning it's time to go before God, to seek God, and to take our cares to the Lord. In 2 Chronicles, we have this guy Jehoshaphat. That's exactly what he did. Remember, he's got three of his enemies, large groups of enemies, ready to attack him. He was outnumbered. He didn't know what to do. And here's what it says. It says, Jehoshaphat was what? Another version says that he was alarmed. I like terri- terrified. But he had to keep it together because he's the king. So he's like, he, was, he didn't know what to do. He had no clue. And it says, and, uh, by this news, and what news? That three people were attacking him. And it says, and by this news, and he did what? Begged the Lord for guidance. Anybody ever been in a situation where you beg God? God, guide, I, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll do whatever. I, yes, where we have the, I promise if you get me out of this, I will never. Lord, can you just please do, oh God, I don't know what else to do. So he went to him and he's asking the Lord for guidance. He's pleading, he was terrified, he prayed. He said, show, what is he saying? Show me what to do, God, I don't have a clue. This is the king, right? This is the king who is in all of leadership of God's people and he's saying, God, tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Have you ever had a situation in your life you have no clue what to do? No matter what, you have nowhere to turn, nowhere to go. Because the thing is, would you say that Jehoshaphat is in a very anxious position at this moment? Of course he is. And guess what? Anxiety is not a sin. It's a signal telling him and telling us to turn to God. It's time to pray. So let me show you his pow- powerful prayer here in Second Chronicles 20, verses 6 through 9. He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? God knows that answer to let you know. And so does Jehoshaphat. You rule over all all of the kingdoms and the nations, power and might are in your hand and no one, no one can withstand you. That sounds like he's buttering him up, doesn't it? Um, But he he needs an answer. So he says that, but watch his faith. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Remember, how is he feeling about with the news that he got? He was what? Alarmed and terrified. He's scared to death. But then he has this moment of, uh, of, of faith. He's still anxious. He's still not excited about calamity coming his way. But what does he say? He says, God, we know who you are, but guess what? If it comes our way, whether sword of judgment, why does he list that first? Because it's coming. All three of them on, on three sides. It's coming. Or plague or famine. He said, we can throw that in there too. We're going to stand in your presence and we're going to still worship you because we, we notice that we will cry out to you in our what? Distress. The people are anxious now. The people are lost. All of them are like, oh my gosh. But even though we're in that situation of anxiety, we're not sinning. But what we are doing, we're going to be faithful because we know no matter what situation we're in, no matter what's facing us, no matter how we're feeling, we know that we will call out to you and you will, not you may, you will hear us and you will save us. That's called faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Doesn't mean that God all of a sudden went poof and all the three people around, the groups around them that were going to get them were going to disappear. No, he just had to have a faith in the midst of this that even though I feel a certain way, even though everything looks bad, we're going to just trust that you are God That you are God, we are not, and no matter how distressed we are, we're going to trust in you that you will hear us and that you will save us. 
And that's one of the first things that when anxiety comes up, it's a signal telling us no matter what's going on, no matter how I feel, I am going to take every ounce of my strength and I am going to trust that you're going to hear my prayer and that you're going to save me from the situation. Often what happens is we get to a point in anxiety where we start to even doubt whether God can even do anything for us. And that is where we get back into the verse last week where darkness becomes our deepest, our closest friend. And that's not a good friend to have. So here we go. Uh, we're going to trust you. And you and I can pray like that. When you feel anxious or overwhelmed, when you don't know what to do, then you can cry out to God. You can be fancy like he did. Oh, God of our ancestors, if you want. Um, or you can be like, help! I don't know what to do, God. I'm done. Help. That works too. You can get brutally honest with God. God, why is this happening? Or you can say, I don't understand it. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know where this is taking me. I feel alone. I feel desperate. I can't get out, God. Why don't you do something to figure it out? Because you are God, and I know that you will and you can. Save me and, and help me. And then just have faith that he will come through. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who's an author of a book called Switch on Your Brain, which I think everybody should read, um, but, um, but she's very brilliant, and I'll tell you how brilliant she is. She is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a bachelor's in science of logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neurology. Now, I have absolutely no clue what that means, but it sounds like it's pretty smart, right? Um, and so, um, so I'm pretty impressed by what she has. But look at, look at what she says here. This is, she did research and she discovered this. She said, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. 12 minutes of focused prayer. 12 minutes of focused prayer over eight weeks can actually change your brain in a positive way, all right? That's a good thing. 12 minutes a day. Here's, here, and here's the power. Not only does the brain touch the heart, not only does a prayer touch the heart of God, but it changes the chemistry of your brain in a good way. So if I said, hey, I've got, the, I've got this wonder thing for you that you can change your brain in a positive way, that you don't have to ha be as anxious, you can, have, you, can, you can actually change some of those neural pathways and think more positively. How many of you will want that? It's only 1995, right? Um, I, I could do that and package it and people would buy it. It, it doesn't cost anything to reach out and talk to the Lord. All it takes is your time. Just take time each day. Changes the chemistry of your brain. Prayer is a great medicine for us. And, and this is exciting because guess what? Our brains are not fixed. They're not stuck. You know, we talked about how it take, that as children we start this neuroplasticity and we make all these millions and billions of connections and our, our brains are going all the time. It took us a while to get where we think where we are. It took me 53 years to almost to get to the point where I think like this. That's not always good things that have got me here today. So it, it, it stands to reason that it's going to take me a little bit of time to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And one of the best ways to do that is just to go ahead and focus prayer um, for 12, 12 minutes for eight weeks. And we have some resources if you're interested in, in those kind of things. All right. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes my brain goes in the wrong places. Anybody there? Um, and and the, the, it's not always that it goes in the wrong places, 
but my brain likes to stay in the wrong places a lot of times. And we live in an era where science shows us that the brain can actually change. And with the neuroplasticity and everything, we talked about it. So we can create new neural pathways in the renewing of our mind through the Word of God and focus on it and really being focused on prayer. God is very fascinating in what he's, he's, uh, how He's created us. Um, he gave us, and here's a little brain picture here. He gave us the amygdala. There we go. Um, see the amygdala? It's that little almond-shaped thing in the brain. And, um, and this, is, uh, this is for our good. The amygdala, when something's going on, it's an alarm that goes, ah, look out. Right? It's, it's, it's the thing that really gets hold of us. So if you're walking through the woods and you hear, and it's, and it's getting kind of dark, and you hear like a little rustling in the woods, you don't think, oh, that must be a bunny rabbit. No, you go, it's Jason. I know it. Friday the 13th. It's, it's Michael Myers. And I got to get out. And it's what, it's what puts you on alert. It's a protector. So you, or you think, oh, it's a lion. It's a tiger. It's a bear. It's what, oh my. Um, it might be Bigfoot coming after me. I've watched that show enough and they've been trying to find him forever and they haven't found him yet. Um, but the amygdala is doing its job that God has created us to do. We, it was made to make us say, whew, to, to not just have us go, oh, Wow, there's several, there's a hundred people with machetes looking mean at me. Yay, how you doing, guys? No, it's something that, that keeps us ready to, to flight, to, to protect ourselves. And, and it's there. And so when, when we have some levels of anxiety, it's just the amygdala doing what God created it to do, to protect us, and may, to give us a signal. And the problem is we start to dwell on the alarm. How many of you, when the alarm goes off in the, in the day, do you like turn it off? How many of you go, oh, I better get up? How many of you just sit there and look at the alarm and go, beep, 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 beep. You just, nobody sits there and looks at the alarm all the morning. You lay there like this, I should get up, but no. That's, a, that's what we do when we have anxiety. We focus on the alarm, but we don't do what the alarm wants us to do. We don't look at the warning that happens there. We do nothing about it. The, in Scripture, the word translated as anxiety is, the, is this word here, merimemno, all right? And it means dwelling or pondering on fearful or anxious thoughts. We stay there. We get stuck. We get stuck. And it's literally meditating on the negative, meditating on the negative. Now, I'm not going to ask who meditates on the negative because you know who you are, and so does your family. But some of us are really training our brains to be anxious, to focus on the negative. Like, for instance, if it's a good or bad situation, like if, if, you, go, if you hear uh, like a, uh, a police siren or an ambulance, you immediately think that your kids who left four hours ago have just gotten into a crash where they killed themselves and 50 other people, correct? We think the most negative as soon as we hear it. Now, it's good to be cautious but it's, and, we're, and concerned at times, but not to be focused in that area because the negative will suck us down. It, I had a friend who said, you know, being around negative people all the time is like hooking a dinghy to the Titanic, it's going to suck you down no matter what you do. And so you've got to go ahead and be renewed by your mind. You didn't get to the negative. You weren't born saying, I am negative. This world's horrible. No, you weren't. That. It took a process. And so we have to renew our minds through the word of the Lord. Um, when we're ruminating, we're rehearsing, and we're, we're going down the same neural pathways. And, be, and I'm going to say this, because of negative stuff that's happened in your life, and because there's been a pattern, it's easier to go down that pathway. And I can understand what many people have gone through. It's easy to go down that pathway. However, 
it's not always the right pathway. It may be the easiest pathway, but it may not be um, the best pathway. And it may be natural to go down that way, but I want to tell you, prayer is not natural. Prayer is supernatural. It's a supernatural conversation with your Heavenly Father. Supernatural prayer can help break the cycle. It takes our mind off of what we're afraid of. For, how does it do that? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. All right? There's nothing more than, uh, than Satan wants to do to just mess with our thoughts and give us the worst. And there's a lot of good material out there to mess with our thoughts. Prayer will break that cycle. It doesn't just heart, touch the heart of God. It changes your brain. It's not a sin. You're normal if you feel anxious. But it is a signal for you to take it to God, take it to God, take it to God, take it to God. If we go back to Jehoshaphat, was, did that stop him being afraid of dying from the sword uh, of the people around him? Not one bit. But he just was able to put his hope in, in a God who could make a difference. Right? So what did Jehoshaphat do? He said, oh, Lord, God of heaven, are you not with us? So hear the cries of our hearts and save us. Now watch how honest he is. I love this. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says this, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Think about that. Here is a leader of people. He's getting attacked, and he is at the point where he says, and this is where people say, well, nothing else you can do but pray. No, that's what you need to do. And that's what he did. He said, you know, we don't have a clue how to deal with this. We have no power to do it, but we're going to just sit here, and we're going to focus on you because we know you can. And that's where he, where he started. We have no power. Do you ever feel like you have no power? That there's just too much for you to deal with? That you just can't handle it? That if you are handling it, you're doing it all alone? You can't get it all done? You don't have what it takes. I don't know if I can go on. It's too much. And then what does he say? He says, we do not know what to do. I don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough. I, I don't want to be the king anymore. I'm sure he had some moments of that. But my eyes are fixed on you. My eyes are on you. I'm always going to look to you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. I'm training my mind to think about you, not about the situation, but to think about you. I'm not believing the lies of the enemy, but I'm renewing my mind with the truth of the gospel. I'm looking at your character. I'm looking at your nature. I'm looking at your goodness. I'm looking at your rightness, righteousness. I'm looking at your power. God, you created this world so you can go ahead and deal with the stuff in it. I'm believing that you're with me. I'm believing that you have everything that goes on that because I love you and I'm focused on you, that you have good for me in all this. And I'm believing that you are working out all things for the good of those who love you. And I'm a call according to your purpose. I don't know what to do because there's too much. I can't handle it. I'm freaking out. I can't hold it together. I don't know where to turn. No human being can handle this. And he's right. In the, and so are you. The point is, no human being was ever made to handle it. We were never made to handle any of this on our own. And so anxiety is not a sin. It's a symptom or signal that reminded us that we have a good and awesome God who created us so that he could deal with these issues and that we could depend on him. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. So I'm just hanging on to you. And he says, finally, now we're at the point that I need you. And that's why first Peter. Peter, anybody remember him? Simon Peter? Simon Peter, what was his job before Jesus found him? Fisherman, okay? And look what he wrote in this verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know that is a fishing term? 
I think that's very awesome that he used it. It is epiripto. Epi, everybody say epiripto. Epi means on top or over top of something. And ripto means to throw or hurl. So when they were fishing back then, they didn't go ahead and go like that. They had nets and they would go ahead and toss them off. It would land down and then they'd haul them in. They were casting and they weren't good at it unless Jesus was around. That's the only time they ever caught fish. I, I, I always find that very humorous. I'm going to ask him, I'm saying, you really made money as a fisherman? Um, but they would take them and they'd hurl, they'd, they'd hurl this net out over the fish, epi over the fish, and pull in that. What they're saying here, and I think it's awesome that here's this lifelong fisherman that says, you know what you need to do? You need to cast, take the net of all your cares and throw them over Jesus. Just throw them over him. Let him go ahead and take care of him. And he says, hey, because I can take it on. I can handle it. I can deal with it. Did you realize, if you read the, the book of Acts, do you know how many uh, how much anxiety and worries he could have had? And he just took them all and cast them on Jesus, even to the point of wanting to be crucified upside down, as history tells us. Anxiety is not a sin. He's saying, God, I don't understand it. I'm hurting. I'm desperate. I feel alone. My heart is racing. You may have felt this. I'm sweating. I'm freaking out about my kids. I'm freaking out about money. I can't handle the tension in the world. I don't know what I'm going to do in my future. How, what kind of world are our grandchildren going to have? Um, should I stay with this person or not? Should I stay in this job that I hate? It's, I, don't, I don't like it, but should I stay here? Here it is, God. I don't know what to do with it. Here, take it all. If you start to deal with every little concern you have in life and you cast it on yourself, you are going to collapse under the weight of that. God never made you to handle it all. He wanted you to go ahead and have it yourself. There's an example um, about prayer. There's a book that was written. One of the um, authors is Ryan Skoog, and it's called Lead with Prayer. And it was done as a response to a, to a, uh, a large group um, called the McClellan Group. And they did a study where they wanted to look in the United States at um, religious leaders and pastors and people who were um, head of, of Christian organizations on prayer. And when they got some of the results, it was, they, it was so negative that they decided we're not even going to publish this. And what they found is that 72% um, of, of pastors said that they needed more consistency in their prayer life. It was almost non-existent. And um, 16% said they, they were not satisfied, they, they were um, somewhat satisfied, but not really satisfied. And those are the good numbers that we know. Um, so what they did in this, in this deal, the results um, that they didn't publish, but some got hold of, there was a major gap between prayer talk and, and prayer time. And they decided to look at, in, in the mainline uh, denominations and also in the main countries that historically grew under the Reformation, that many are dying. They compared them to the global church, where in many areas the global church is expanding. And they began to look and say, hey, how can we capture what the global church is doing? And what they found, they thought, maybe it's a program or maybe it's a system. We love systems in the country. It's got to be a system that they're using. But what they found out consistently, whether they were in the United States of churches and, and, and Christian organizations that were growing, or whether they were in third world countries where they were growing, one consistent thing was prayer. 
a focused commitment to prayer. And, all, and when they asked everybody, it was very interesting. They said, how do you get started on this prayer life? How do you really make a commitment? And notoriously, everybody said, it starts with friendship. It starts with friendship with God. And several people began to talk about taking a couple hours of walk with the Lord in the morning or an hour walk with the Lord in the morning. There's a, fi- a, a New York financier um, named John Kim. He managed millions of, of dollars. He has a PhD from MIT. And he said to someone, it comes down to this. It came down to my heart. Do I really believe that it is valuable time to spend and stop all my other leadership activities and spend time with Jesus. I had to, he said, I had to do a soul-searching deal and say, is it worth my time to stop life and all my other responsibilities and my other leadership activities and say, this is the most valuable time I'm going to spend during the day? And, he said, and so he came up and coined a term, which others have used, called, he's, he said, so now I am wasting time with God. And, he, and, and when he was asked, what do you mean about wasting time with Jesus? So you see him, he said, hey, I'm out of the office. I'm going to go waste some time with Jesus. And he said, and, and the author said, why do you say wasting time with Jesus? He said, because that's what friends do. Think about it. Some of the greatest times in my life have been the biggest waste of times with my friends. We did some of the dumbest stuff, and guys will come up with all kinds of stupid games. Doesn't matter what you do. You can sit across the room and throw stuff at each other and try to hit each other in the face and other, other parts of your body and you know, that kind of stuff, just to do stupid things, right? Guys, am I right? Am I the only stupid guy that can come up with a game about anything? And they are like some of the best times. I remember in the, the 80s, we sat around r- trying to make up raps for some reason, for hours. And it was wonderful joy, and we have a lot of humor about that. And it was a complete waste of time. Now, I don't know when I'm going to sit around with Jesus and make up rap songs, but I probably could. Um, But the thing is, how many of you can really say, I am wasting time with my best friend, Jesus? It's so important to waste time with Jesus. So when you pray, go waste time with Jesus. Say, yeah, there's those moments where we need stuff, but we're so conditioned. Lord, I need, we have the quick prayers where you go, okay, Lord, bless this food to our bodies and us in your service. Amen. Woo. And then we look at the product we're eating. We're saying, Lord, you better do a miracle on this stuff. And, but then other times we, we go for the big stuff. We're like, oh my gosh, Lord, I just got a diagnosis of cancer. Can you please take care of it? Amen. And we're off. Spend some time. When, if I got a diagnosis or when I'm struggling, I talk to my friends and we can just sit and talk about nothing, but we waste time together. And it's important because I help cast some of that load off on my friends. So when you pray, you pray and then what do you do? You go ahead and you jump in and you take control and you use the spiritual gift of manipulation. That's what I do, right? Come on, God, you're taking too long. Let's go ahead. Anybody else do that? Like, God, come on, you're too late. But no, we just got to let God be God and do his thing. Anxiety is a signal alerting you it's time to pray. Number two, the second signal, it's time to pause. Time to pause. In Second Chronicles, verses 12 and 13, Jehoshaphat did this after the prayer. He said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and the little ones, what did they do? What did they do? It's in yellow. They stood. They just, you, you see what they did? He gives this great prayer. You got the enemy coming on th- uh, three different ways. And he get, they all sit there and go, hmm. Does that bother anybody? Is anybody a doer? Does that bother you? Is it bother you? Some of you must not be doers because you ain't saying anything. Um, that bothers me because I like to do. 
I want to do something. I'll be like, all right, Gord, we're going to keep our eyes on you. While we are going ahead and getting our swords ready, while we are going, I mean, they did nothing. They just did, it seems like they did absolutely nothing. They stood, they paused, they paused, they sat there. But one of the things I learned is that sometimes God wants you to just stand there. There are times when God will tell you to be still. I don't know what to do, God. I don't have the power. My eyes are on you. Be still, Jack. I care for you. Just be still. I'm with you. And so you say, okay, Jack, we're praying and we're, do- and we're doing nothing, and God heals us with anxiety. Sometimes. But sometimes it's more of a process. Sometimes he'll direct you to a Bible verse to start to renew your mind or help change your diet so that the full chemistry of your body works better or help you find a doctor that looks at things and gives a prescription that can help normalize that. Or you can go through deep therapy with someone who is helping you uh, deal with how you process things um, before. Or sometimes you have to do the hard work of retraining your brain through uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever the process is. Sometimes it's instant and sometimes it's a process. But the thing is, it always starts with God. It's directed by God and it's a result of God. So what we do, we take and cast our situation there and then we wait for the Spirit of God. And look at what happened here in Second Chronicles 20, 15 through 17. While they waited, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazalel, and he said this, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. I don't know if I'm standing there, I'm like, who the heck are you? Do you know what we're facing here? I might have been saying that right. He said, but listen to what he says. He says, for the battle is not yours, but who's it? It's God's. So he says, go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord is going to be with you. The situation has not changed one bit, has it? You still have three invading armies who hate the people of Judah. Come, you're still outnumbered. They still want to wipe you off the face of the earth. Nothing has changed except for they went to God in prayer and said, we don't know what to do, and they stood and were quiet. And then the Spirit of God came upon Jehezalel, whoever the heck he is, and, they, and he speaks up and says, hey, don't be afraid. This battle ain't yours, it's God. And all people said, all right, we'll go out tomorrow. And they went home. Now, I find that crazy. I'd be like, I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to hide someplace in here. I'm going to find someplace. I'm going to take off. That would be me. You know why? Because that's Jack again taking control. Not keeping my eyes on the Lord. Not focused on he is God and it's his battle because I'm his child. And I don't know about you. Has anybody ever messed with your kid like another adult messed with your kid? Do you just go, oh, okay, it's not my battle. No. You moms go, oh, let me see him. Right? You're about ready to throw down. Am I correct? And dads too. Am I correct? Anybody mess with your kid? Well, guess what? Your daddy in heaven doesn't like when people mess with you. So the battle is not yours, it's his. And the moment we say, okay, I'm going to let my daddy take care of this, it is so much better. Doesn't mean the situation often changes. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's gradual, but that's what happens. Don't be afraid. Face it. He's with you. He's real. He loves you. He cares for you. His power is real. He will never leave you and never forsake you. Because anxiety is not a what? Sin. It is a signal alerting you two things so far. It's time to pray and it's time to pause. But it's also a time to praise. Time to praise. It's time to thank him for who he is. Jehoshaphat prayed. He prayed, God, we believe in you. Even if we face calamity, you will deliver us. You're God. You're always faithful. Then he paused and he stood. Then the other 
God says, hey, this battle's the Lord's, okay, all that kind of stuff. But then Jehoshaphat did something really, really weird. Now, I, I never was in the military, some of you were, and I have a very limited um, knowledge of warfare. I did watch the Napoleon movie, and I started reading things about Napoleon. Um, and, but I would not have done this. Here's what he did. After they got all, all together and they paused, he prayed and they paused, then he decided to do something else. He sent the worship team out on the front lines. The weapons were instruments. So he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and face these guys. Come on, tambourine lady. Let's go. All right. Hey, acoustic guitar guy, get on up here. Oh, singing lady that does the Christian box step, go ahead. You get up there too. They'll never hit you because you'll be moving around. Um, then they'll say, oh, uh, other singer person, go ahead. Oh, maybe oh, even, even bring that chime person that all of a sudden goes, Bling! You know, we'll, we'll do that too. Um, drum guy, you might have to have somebody help carry you, but go ahead. Come on, let's go. You guys on the front lines. I don't know about you, but that would have been the day I quit the worship team. <laughs> right? You got three invading armies that want to kill you, and he's like, Go on, worship team. And, and, you know, I was, I, like I said, I watched that Napoleon movie, and I was always amazed back then they had somebody who was a drummer. Boom, boom, boom. That person always got blown to bits. I'm like, I don't want to be the drummer, <laughs> you know? And um, so anyway, that's ADHD for you today, all right? Um, but I don't know about you, but here's my choice. I am sending every version of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I am going ahead. I'm getting the old school Rambo. Um, I'm getting Jack Reacher, and they're all going to be led by uh, General Patton and Napoleon, right? We're going to take care of this business really good. But Jehoshaphat decides, hmm, who have I got here? I've got Matt Redman, Chris Tomlin, Kerry Job, Darlene Jack, Brandon Lake, uh, Lauren Daigle, and Josh Baldwin. Come on down. Let's go. And he says, hey, go get them, Kerry. Tell them they're blessed and sing some of that Revelation song. That'll really get them. And then he says, hey, Brandon, sing some of that gratitude to the enemy, and maybe they'll throw up their hands again and again, and they'll turn them in graves into gardens. Um, maybe he says, Chris, can you sing that indescribable song? Because after a while, it'll just get to them, and they'll just be like, I give up. Or, or maybe Bethel Church, you can play one of your full 20-minute worship songs, and they'll zone out, and then maybe on the 10th chorus, they'll give up. Listen to Bethel Church. They sing songs for hours, all right? Um, that's what he did. He picked the praise and worship team to go forward and, and for victory before God. Do you find that as being totally unnatural? You're right, because it's supernatural. By some miracle, guess what happened? When they came to attack the people of Judah, the worship leaders are worshiping God, and they get so confused that the Moabites start to attack the other Ammonites and the Mennonites, and they're, they're fighting each other. They kill each other. In the worship of God by God's people, the enemy was confused and started to attack the, each other. When we have anxiety, we go to God and the situation doesn't look like it changed. We stop and we wait on God and hear a word from the Lord and it still doesn't seem changed. And then he says, worship and praise me and see how the situation does change. Because God inhabits our praise. God inhabits our praise and the enemy, Satan, hates when God is praised. Hates it. Hates it more than anything. And so they didn't just praise act after the victory. They praised before the battle. It took them three days for them to kill each other. And there were dead bodies of the army everywhere. And it's easy to praise God after 
um, uh, all, uh, praise God from whom all dead bodies flow, right? It's, it's easy to do that when the anxiety is gone. When we don't have the anxiety, it's like, oh, thank you, God, it's gone. But can you praise him when the anxiety is at its peak? I, my a counselor friend of mine said, you know, the problem with anxiety is it starts to rise and we try to do stuff to get rid of it. And then we create more anxiety. And before we know it, we've created all this anxiety. And, and she said to me, anxiety will never just keep going up and up and up and up and up and up. It'll eventually start to drop down. But the problem is we need to wait and, and trust in God and allow thing, him to do what he needs to. That's what they did. Do you think, do you think it would have gotten messier if he, they started to do everything and get ready and, and go out in the battle lines? No, he said, get the worshipers out there because we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord. It takes a moment of faith when you're hurting, when you're feeling the anxiety, when things don't make sense, when all life is crazy. And I remember, I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. And, um, and when um, dad was dying in the hospital and we were, I was, Jill and I were headed up to Christiana and I said, it, it hit me. And I said to Jill, I said, dad's service needs to be a worship service. It needs to be praise and worship. And we started with like a rocking song and, and Justin was like, Jack, are you sure? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sure. He's like, are you really sure? This is a few, I said, yeah, I'm sure. He said, are you sure? I said, yes, Justin, I'm sure. And we had, and, and you know what I needed? Because the battle was so big at that point in my life, I needed my worship team. I needed God's worship team in front, leading through that. That's the only way I could get through services. That's the only way I could get through tomorrow. Because in the midst of all things, in the midst of my deepest hurt, in four months losing both my, my parents and then six months later and all the other loss and all the other stuff going on, I needed to worship God. Because that's the only thing that sent the enemy away. And to start with worshiping God, there wasn't anybody at, at that service or who watched online that was like, what is wrong with those people? No, they saw the victory that my dad had in Christ Jesus his whole entire life. And the victory that was getting me and others through in his loss. Because God is God and I'm not. And he's always faithful. Always faithful. So, I, you know, in, in a little bit we're going to get the praise team up here and we're going to need their help to do some battle. And let's read what happened after Jehoshaphat prayed. He paused and he waited and he prayed. And after he prayed, before he saw anything, God worked and the scripture says this, the fear of God, wouldn't it be great if we had a fear, not, not like scared, but like just an awe of a holy and righteous God in our culture today, came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. God had been faithful. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was what? At peace. For his God had given him rest on every side. He had battle on every side. He had conflict on every side. But when God fought his battle for his children and his people, his kids had peace on every side. The Lord fought the battle and had given them rest. Last week I shared how um, a few times, and particularly one main time, I was breaking and struggling, and it wasn't visible to many others. Few knew. Um, on the outside I was able to function. On the inside I was struggling and breaking. And I had a deep sense of inadequacy. I was coping. My coping mechanisms were no longer working. My mind had become um, my worst enemy, and I was breaking down. So I sought help. I called a counselor, and she worked with me. And one of the things she asked me is, she said, how's your prayer life? 
So I, I pressed in a little bit deeper to my prayer life. I took a te- few deep breaths in my, in my life. I even tried this thing where I could like actually just stop and be present, which was hell for me. Um, and just to stop. One of the things is I read a book about a guy who, who talked about eating. Like when I eat, if you see me eat, it's like on the plate and it's gone. That's, that's how I eat. And, and in that book, it actually said, um, it was telling me, take time and savor how awesome food is. And so I take a bite and I put it down. And that was painful because I'm supposed to get it down in my gullet and move on. But I want you to, if you're like that, Take a bite and just put it down and cause yourself to pause and just say, wow, food is awesome. And just taste it and just look around you and see the people around you. And then ultimately start thanking God for the time that you have. Not just going to God with the battles that you have that are going on in your own mind, but just stop and thank God that maybe because of, maybe some of those situations that are causing your biggest battle were some of God's biggest blessings in your life as well. Breathe, memorize some scripture, and let God start to renew your mind. Like he, he works on me all the time. What you do, you start doing battle. God fighting with you, God fighting for you, and you'll feel stronger, and he will give you rest on every side. You may not know where to, what to do or where to turn. or may feel like it's over for you, but God will be there. It may not happen instantly, And you may need to start telling yourself even before, I'm doing better. And don't listen to people say, really? Maybe you need to start telling yourself in the renewing of your mind, I'm doing better. I'm doing better. I'm doing better. And then before you know it, you will be doing better because your mind will be saying, am I doing better or am I going to fall back into it again? Because that anxiety wants to creep and creep up there. And so how do we fight our battles? We pray. We take them to God. We press into him. By my nature, I'm tempted to act, but sometimes I just need to wait and be still and sit in his presence and let him do what only he can do. And then I thank him, and then I worship him, and I give him, give him praise. I pray, and I praise, and I say, you're God. And I, I picked the, um, the countdown today. It's a, it's a song that... Um, they didn't write a lot of words to, but it says, I'm, it may look like I'm surrounded, and I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like you're surrounded. It may look like you're surrounded, and you're surrounded, and you're surrounded, but how do you fight your battles? You recognize that the battle is the Lord's. You're his child, and he loves you. Sometimes he fights my battles for me because I know that our struggle and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and powers and authorities of this dark world. I know that I should never be afraid or discouraged because the battle is not mine, it is the Lord's. And you should never be discouraged because the battle is not yours. The Lord will be with you. So what do you do? You pray. Anxiety, it's going to come up, and that's a good thing. But it's a signal. It's a signal to pray. Signal to pause, signal to praise him. In, um, when we look at praise, I love that verse I put in, your, in Isaiah 61. It's the verse that Jesus said when he went into, he quoted when he went into Nazareth. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. And this is my prayer for you. Some of us need to change our clothes, to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And what does this verse say again? Let me, let me quote this verse the way it should be said. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, whether you're facing when you don't know what to do, by prayer, take it to God, and with petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then chuck or cast your cares on God, and the peace of God, the rest of God, the peace and rest which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Because this is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him. And I'm surrounded by the Lord day in and day out. So let's do some battle right now in praise with this worship team, all right? Sound like, because somebody here has got a battle you're facing. You don't know how to face it. You've tried everything. You've been to several different people. You're trying to, you're talking to everybody that, um, that's even in line in the grocery store. You're trying every answer you can get because you're much like Jehoshaphat. Please stand on up. Um, and you're saying, hey, I, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't have the strength to deal with this. And God says, good. You weren't created to have the strength. You weren't created to deal with it on your own. You're, you're not able to. This is my battle. Come to me. Pray. Just cast it on me. Give it to me. Be still. That's the hard part. And, um, and through all that, just start praising me. And I mean really praise. Because I know, I know some of you Ravens fans last night were doing a lot of praising, weren't you? Right? You were praising for that second half. I know what you were doing. But, um, and it was a good game for them, right? Us Eagles fans weren't praising much, right? Um, but, but the thing is, you know, we've talked about this before, but why do we constantly give praise for God to something that's so temporal in our world. You know, just something that's so temporal. So let's just, let's just praise the Lord. And this is why I got a drink. Thank you, Becky. God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that, um, that where it says, do not be anxious about anything, that's when we recognize that we can cast it on you, we can give it to you, and that the battle is yours, not ours. For some of us, that may be a process um, and for some of us, it may be immediately. I believe that there's some people who, just because of how we've thought over the years, because of the neural pathways we created, because of just the way we think or how we're put together chemically or whatever, that God, there's, uh, that, that we're focusing on the alarm. We're focusing so much on the alarm of anxiety and we're getting beat down by the weight of it and we're casting it on ourselves and casting it on ourselves. And God, that's not what it was intended for. It was intended for us to go ahead and say, okay, here's the situation. I'm going to take it to you. I'm going to be still and I'm going to praise you. Some people have been dealing with so much anxiety that they don't even know how to get out of the anxiety to begin to praise you. And so God, I just pray that as, as that praise is the front lines and begins to lead, to lead in worship and praise for you, that God, the enemies that we face will be in confusion and that they will turn on each other 
and that Satan will fall apart because of a, a great God that we serve. Whatever it is that we have in our hearts today, God, we just lift them up to you. We give you praise for who you are. And this is how we hopefully, not only this week and not only today, but that we will begin to fight our battles each and every day of our lives. That when we are surrounded, because the enemy just keeps on coming, that we recognize that we have a good and awesome and mighty God who loves us, who's our daddy, who's fighting the battle for his kids, and he's surrounding us with his grace and his power. For that, we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
I hope you have an awesome week. Um, I believe next week is about depression, which nobody deals with, so you can all take off next week. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. Watch out for snow drifts, and watch out for all those other people out there who are, don't know how to drive, right? Mm.